Dominic, Dominic, Highly contested, it's getting wild. Highly contested, if you wanna talk the talk, then you better walk the walk. Get the facts, show the stats, act like radios are all. The Texas high. Highly contested, it's getting wild. Highly contested, if you wanna talk the talk, then you better walk the walk. Get the facts, show the stats, act like radios are off. Hello, and welcome to Highly Contested. This podcast covers some of the hottest topics in the world of football and basketball, where our crew gives our highly contested takes on these topics and supports our takes with facts. I'm Andrew, and I'm here with George. How you doing, George? I'm doing great, man. I love the sports are back. We got some great topics. How you guys doing? Joe, how you doing? Doing pretty good. Pretty good. Good day. Good day. Good day to be alive. Eric, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. Wakanda forever. Hmm. Hmm. Mm. R.I.P. Some of today's featured topics include what is your prediction for Game 7 of the Rockets versus Thunder? What did the seven-game series tell you about the Jazz and the Nuggets? And should the Saints sign Alvin Kamara long-term? Let's dive headfirst into it here on Highly Contested. Let's jump right into it. The Houston Rockets and the Oklahoma City Thunder have all have gone back and forth this entire series. In Game 5, the Rockets blew the Thunder out of the water. However, the Thunder bounced back in Game 6 behind Chris Paul's 28 points, forcing a Game 7. Now the seasons of both teams rest on this final Game 7. So, George, Rockets versus Thunder... Game seven, who you got? I'm sticking with my pick, man. I still got the Rockets winning it. They got the best two players on the court with Harden and Westbrook. I mean, I'm going to give huge credit to the Thunder. I did not expect them to be able to make this a series the way they did. I projected them getting swept, I believe. So the fact that they take it to a game seven, man, major props on them. It was supposed to be a rebuild year for them, but here they are making noise, taking them to game seven. Like I said, I still believe that Harden and Westbrook will be able to take Game 7. They got the two better players on the court. Although I wouldn't be surprised if the Thunder win and then we see LeBron take out his banana boat buddies with Melo in the first round and CP3 in the second round. But I got the Rockets winning Game 7. Awesome. Joe, what is your take? My take, I still choose Thunder to win the Game 7. Chris Paul is looking like his vintage self out there against his former team. but And he pulled them out of a 3-2 hole. The Rockets have been unable to finish out their games in the series, and that would make them unfit to win this game to move on. The odds are looking real nice for the Thunder, sitting at plus 160. Mm. Mm. All right, Eric. Rockets versus Thunder, Game 7. Who you got? Look, I personally think this would have been done in, in uh, six games. I really think that the Houston Rockets killed themselves, shot themselves in the foot, honestly. I mean, Russ had over six-plus turnovers, and he had two major turnovers in the last minute. I mean, no, I, I'm giving all credit to um, Chris Paul and the OKC Thunder. They're doing magnificent, man. Um, but I really think game seven will belong to the Houston Rockets. But, I mean, the fan in me really wants OKC to pull through. Mm-hmm. George, any any thoughts on uh, maybe what Joe said or what maybe 
touching up on what Eric just said? No, I mean, you know, Joe did pick the Thunder in his predictions, which I thought was blasphemy. But, you know, here they are, Game 7. So it's been a good series. We're going to see. I mean, like I said, I still think that they got the better two players in uh, Westbrook and Harden, two MVP caliber players. I just don't see them losing it in Game 7. Drew, I'm curious to think, what, uh, what do you think about this Game 7? So this time I came prepared. You guys you guys caught me off guard last time. This time I'm prepared. <laughs> you got to learn. All right, so I got the Thunder. Uh, the Rockets might get hot from three, and if that happens, then the Thunder won't be able to stop it. But if they're not hot from three, I'm which I'm expecting, this game will come down to the stars of each team late in the game, and I trust CP3 more than I trust both Harden and Westbrook combined. CP3 scored 15 points in the fourth quarter of that game six, including two clutch threes and two crucial free throws when the game was tied at 100 with 13 seconds left in the game. He leads the league in scoring in clutch situations with 150 points in those clutch situations. So for those that don't know, scoring in clutch situations is defined as any points scored in the last five minutes of the game with the point differential being five or less points between both teams. He's got more clutch moments in bigger games than both Harden and Westbrook. That's my bottom line, and it's going to show if the Rockets don't come out and shoot lights out. Yeah, I think CP3 did say something about um, clutch moments at the end of the game in a, uh, to one of the reporters. That was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. All right, George, what's your take? Yeah, I'm just going to agree with you on the clutch factor of this game. Uh, We've seen all season long that one of the best teams in the NBA in the clutch has been the Thunder, and they have the most comeback wins in the NBA too. So it'll be interesting. I do feel like CP3 is out on a mission. He's got something to prove. Mm. He's looking forward to this. You saw him stare down a Harden at that free throw line at the end of the game. Mm. You know, some people want all the smoke and CP3 wants all the smoke. So this is definitely (laughs) to watch must see TV game seven. Absolutely, man. He just stares him down when Westbrook does that turn. When Westbrook does that turnover, he just stares him down. He's like, man, you traded me for this guy. (laughs) exactly oh man that's great all right let's move on to a different game seven the utah jazz and the denver nuggets went back and forth and back again during this brilliant series but unfortunately only one team could move on that team became the denver nuggets so what did this seven game series tell you guys about the jazz and the Nuggets. We are going to start off with Eric on this one. What is your thoughts on this, Eric? Um, I love how the game ended, man. I really like how uh, Jokic had the ball in his hands at the very end of this game, and he was able to, uh, you know, get the two-point lead and win the game. Um, just tells you how really deep the Nuggets team is, man. You put it in Murray's hand, you could put it in Jokic's hand. There's just a really deep team, um, and I'm glad they moved on. I actually picked this team to move on from the very beginning. Um, I think I said like five or six games. I believe it was six games, if I remember correctly. And this really turned into be one of the best, probably one of the best playoff series um, I've seen in a while. Not even just a while, maybe even this this year or in the bubble or anything. So, I mean, it's a really good, really good play. Um, like I said, we I think we all picked either Mitchell or Murray to have the most surprised player in the playoffs um, so far. And it's 
I mean, it's been nothing but a show in this whole series. Nothing but a show. It's an amazing, amazing game. Mm. George, what's your take? Yeah, man. All I got to say is what a series, right? Like between uh, Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray, they've combined for the most points by opposing players by in a three-game span in the NBA playoffs with 267. They've been playing great. This last game, this game seven, man, defense, right? 80 to 78. Low scoring game, rarely see it, but it was it went right down to the wire. Uh, Nuggets came back from what three to one, ended up winning the series. I think this is going to go down as one of those classic matchups between Mitchell and Murray. I'm glad to see that uh, Jokic was able to help Murray out in this game seven because Murray struggled a bit. He shot seven for twenty one from the field goal, uh, while Jokic had thirty points, fourteen rebounds, five assists. Um, but yeah, this came down to the end and, you know, I think Mitchell, you know, he should have been able to take that last shot. They should have gave it to him like a full court pass, but, uh, you know, Colin went for that three, missed it. And that was all she wrote. Yeah. So just so you guys know, man, the Nuggets, this is the only the 12th team in NBA history to overcome a three, one deficit and win a playoff series. And, uh, you know, this is after they blew a 19 point lead in this game like they were down 19 and they came back from 19 point deficit and they came back to win this game and they were done 3-1 in the whole series so that's that's incredible i think it i think what that really means is the nuggets were the better team in the end because of the fact that you know it's three games that they had to have won you don't get lucky three times in a row i think so i really do believe that they we're the better team in the end. But Joe, I would like your take before we get to George again. Joe, what do you think? This seven-game series with the Nuggets and Jazz is a tale of two well-polished teams in the Western Conference that are poised for greatness in the future. To whichever team that that won this game, which it was the Nuggets, are going to give the Lakers a run for their money. The Nuggets did win. Like I said in the previous podcast, Jamal Murray will not let the Nuggets lose. He's going to leave it all on the court. I think if that these two teams didn't play each other in the first round, and probably if they did, probably in the second round, this Western Conference Final would have been a great, great game to watch. But that's not possible mm-hmm. until next season. Just to just to ask you real quick, Joe, I think you meant to say the Clippers, right, instead of the Lakers. Well, no, because I'm I have the Lakers going to the uh, West Conference Finals to play against the Nuggets. Oh, interesting! So you have the Nuggets beating the Clippers to get there. Mm. Yep. George, what's your what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, interesting take. But back to what the point you made, Drew, about the Nuggets were the better team. I mean, that's what I love about the NBA playoffs. You know, it's a seven game series. You know, you got to win four, and the better team more times than not ends up winning. So I do believe, like you said, the better team ended up winning this series. I believe the better team won this series, but let's be real here. Uh, The better team was not better by much. I mean, this was a, this was, this game, this seven game series told me three things. The first thing that it told me was these, if these two players, Mitchell and Murray, if they stay on their respective teams, then these teams are going to be up there with Dallas as the new beasts of the West in about a year or two, and they're going to be that way for a while. It also told me that this series was one for the record books for sure, and I'm not exaggerating. 
There was four 50-point games this postseason. All four of those 50-point games came in this series. In NBA history, there has never been more than three 50-point games in an entire postseason. This series alone had four. Wow. The Utah Jazz... Ridiculous. Ridiculous. The Utah Jazz gave them everything and pushed this Nuggets team to their limits. This series literally came down to a final shot that would have decided the series had it gone in. It wasn't just any final shot, too. There was no timeout. There was no time to prepare. They literally ran up and took the shot, and everyone's hearts stopped for a second, frozen in time, watching that shot. Credit to the Utah Jazz. They'll be a force next year for sure, as long as they stay healthy. Hopefully Bogdanovich can come back and that team, that team, we saw what they were capable of without Bogdanovich, which was their second leading scorer all season. So what should that tell you if their second leading scorer comes back and and this same team comes into the playoffs, guns blazing like they did in this series? But again, the Denver Nuggets, they deserve this win. It took all seven games. It took every second of all seven of those games and they got it. So credit to them. Yeah, we deserved an overtime. <laughs> it was crazy. We we got one too in game one. So the one thing I will say is it will be an interesting matchup between them and the Clippers. But I feel like this Denver Nuggets team, they've got to be tired, man. Oh, yeah, they look tired. Oh, yeah. I was worried about that too. I think both teams look tired, honestly. But, I mean, you can tell that both teams were clamping down on defense too. So it was – yeah. yeah. They play in two days. They so. play in one day. Oh, well, yeah, one day, one day. Yeah, they only got one day in between before they play the Clippers. Well, that's what I mean, two days. It's it's one day of rest, one day go. Yeah, this one was fun to watch. Yeah. Let's move to the East now. The Milwaukee Bucks took on the Miami Heat in game one of their best of seven series. In game one, Jimmy Butler went off, scoring 40 points to seal the victory for the Miami Heat. Giannis Antetokounmpo had 18 points. 10 rebounds, and 9 assists in the loss. So, George, we'll start with you on this one. What did Jimmy Butler prove in the Heat's Game 1 victory over the Bucks? Honestly, he didn't really prove much to me, man. I expected this, predicted the Heat to take down the Bucks. Uh, they did it in a way that I predicted to slow down Giannis. Although, I mean, I'm impressed with Butler scoring 40 points. That was impressive. That was a career high for him in the playoffs. But this is what I expect from Jimmy Butler. You know, this is why they call him Jimmy Buckets. You know, he continues to show this, that he's clutch. We saw him in the end of that, in that fourth quarter. He was just shooting everything. Uh, We even seen him. He told his teammates, hey, guys, sorry, you know, I'm going to be shooting all night. And his teammates said, go for it, you know. So he's, he's not just a scorer, though. He said, you know, he's very much a team player. And he hopes that in the next game, someone else is that man that shoots and scores as much as he did. So he's not afraid to score. He can score, but he's also not afraid to be a team player and let his teammates, you know, do the scoring. He just let game one come to him. It was his night. He felt every shot, made him. But this is what I expect from Jimmy Butler. All right. Joe, what are your thoughts? Man, Jimmy Butler took over this game by putting the team on his back. His teammates were telling him in the huddles all night, win the game. Butler scored 14 of his playoff career high of 40 points in the fourth quarter. 
Butler joins only LeBron James and Dwayne Wade as players with 40 points in a playoff effort for Miami. He was 13 for 20 from the field, 12 of 13 from the free throw line, and two from two, two for two from the three point line. Eric. Yeah, so like George said, man, I mean, we kind of expect this from Butler. I mean, 40 points, though. You know, I was expecting probably like 30, but 40 points, even better. Um, I'm hoping for the Bucks to win this round, though, this whole playoff series. But uh, the Heat, man, they're no joke. The only thing I could say about Butler, though, is that, uh, I mean, Joe brought this up, too. He was two for two on three-pointers. That's great. He made both. But in a, in a time of where guards control the floor by shooting um, threes lights out, I mean, he's over here putting in the work all on his back, 40 points, and only 34 of them, I mean, 34 of them were on the, in the paint. Six of them were only from the outside. You know, that's, that's pretty incredible. Um, the only thing I could say here is that he only had two assists. So, I mean, if you shut down Butler um, on his offensively at least, and he doesn't, you know, get in the paint that much, and you're slowing down that that aspect of his game, then he's going to have to uh, boost up these assist numbers. He's going to have to maybe, you know, step back and shoot a little bit to open up the lanes. But uh, other than that, man, this guy's going off. Uh, we'll see what the Bucks come up with here in the next game. So see if they can slow down the heat. Interesting. Uh, before before you go, George, I just have something to say. It sounds like Eric, you're a little scared now. Of the heat? Definitely not. I'm not scared of the heat. They are very. I mean. Check this out. We have uh, Dragic with 27 points. All right, five assists, six rebounds, and he was nine for 15 at, uh, shooting, two for five on threes. He shot just as many three. Well, he made just as many threes as Butler, but he shot three more times and missed. But I mean, Dragic. I watched this game, and Dragic is just a beautiful piece to have on a team. Um, then you, of course, you have Robinson Crowder. Uh, you have so many good players on this team. Iguodala, Olenek, I mean, Hero. You still have Haslam on this team. He did not play, but you have the veteran presence there. Um, I mean, this team is really incredible, man, and they have really good coaching, really good front office. There's nothing there's nothing to hate on on this team, man. But, I mean, the Bucks, though. The Bucks are having a real historic season, and I, I'm, like I said last time, anything less than a finals run is a disappointment for this team. Mm. Yeah, I'm just kind of saying because earlier when we were making predictions on this, uh, on the first round as a whole, you were kind of saying, well, nobody's scared of the heat. And now it sounds like you're a little scared, but all right, let's go to George now, George. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Eric pretty much just brought up all the points I was about to bring up to him by complimenting all the players that the heat got. But um, just the point that he said, Butler and his three points, you know, that he may, maybe he needs to score more, but we got to remember, like I said earlier, this is the number two ranked three-point shooting team in the entire NBA. So Butler doesn't have to be that guy because he's got shooters all around him. He can, you know, play around in that mid-range, take it to the paint, and do things like that. What do you got to say to that, Eric? Yeah, you're right. Butler doesn't have to be that guy. He has Hero. He has, I mean, even Dragish, like I said, scored some threes. He has some shooters on this team. But you slow down Jimmy in the paint. You slow down Jimmy and let everyone else shoot the ball, you're just not going to win these games. That's for sure. You take away um, half the points Jimmy uh, scored in this game, and the Bucks win this game easily. So, I mean, they only won by 11 points, man. That's not that big of a margin. And, uh, I mean, the the Bucks have some real shooters on that team too, including Kyle Corver, one of the best three-point shooters we've seen in the league. And, uh, I mean, like I said, I expect nothing less than a finals run for the Bucks. 
Uh, I, I mean, look at the Bucks last time when they played, faced Orlando. I mean, Orlando was not the team the Heat is. But, uh, I mean, they lost that first game, and then they came back strong. So let's see the the Bucks come back strong. Honestly, it was just them stopping Giannis because Brooke Lopez had a hell of a game. Um, Brooke Lopez had 24 points. Middleton had 28. And even off the bench, Corver had 11. So, I mean, his the, the team showed up, man. Giannis only had 18 points. He did he did have nine assists and ten rebounds. So I mean he was almost had a triple double. So he he didn't have a, a real bad game, not as many points as I would like him to to have, but he still had one shy away from a triple double. Mm. George, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean Eric's saying that you know if they slow down Jimmy Butler, you know that'll be the key for their success. But that's just not true. We've seen the Heat have much success without Jimmy Butler, especially against the Bucks. Their first game in the regular season, you know, they beat the Bucks without Jimmy Butler. The third game without Jimmy Butler that they played in the bubble went to overtime and it was a good game. So we've seen them do that and we haven't seen them we haven't seen the Bucks be able to beat, you know, some of these teams when Giannis is having a bad game when they're able to slow him down and focus on him and shut him down in the paint. So what do you got to say to that, Eric? Okay. Well, let's see this. So since Giannis had 18 points, I mean, once again, he's one shy of a triple-double here. But 18 points is a little subpar for Giannis. So let's see what happens in these future games. If Butler has 18 or less points, and you know his assist numbers and whatever could be up in par with Giannis as well, but if he has 18 points in any other game, I doubt they win that game. Butler with 18 points, they, won't, they probably won't win that game. Um, put that down. Let's see what happens, man. Because uh, I'm pretty sure, I mean, these both these teams are like really good matchups, I believe. And pretty much what it says on everyone's board on each side is like stop Giannis and stop Butler. Like <laughs> for sure, you're going to double team these guys. You're going to try and get them from just don't score. Don't let them score because you don't let these guys score. They have a hard time. Like I said, this they only won by 11 points here. Um, I'm sticking to my word. If Butler gets 18 points or less, they're not winning this game. Giannis had 18 points, but they held him to 6 of 12 from the field. That's only 50%. And um, Jimmy Butler, he doesn't have to do all the scoring, you know. He's got shooters all around him, playmakers. So, I mean, I, I think that the Heat can win a game if Butler only scores 18 versus I don't think the Bucks could win a game if Giannis only has 18 points. And I think that's the difference. You know, the surrounding cast, I think, of the Miami Heat are a little better. And Eric, you will put some respect on the Miami Heat, all right? <laughs> I'm putting more respect on the Miami Heat, man. I'm putting more respect on Miami Heat. But I need you to put some respect on Giannis, man. The MVP, the the last reigning, he's the reigning MVP, man. He's the current defensive player of the year, all right? He has a highlight blocking as well in the first game, all right? But let's just let's just be honest here, man. I know you're saying 18 points, um, they'll still win. I just don't see it, man. I just don't see it. I don't see Butler winning games here unless he has at least 25 plus. Um, I would say 28 plus, really, but 25 plus, and you know, beast. With 25, he's got to boost up his other numbers. He can't have two assists. All right, he has to have something else. Um, but he put the team on his back for sure, man. 40 points is a hell of a game. Um, but I just, I got to see it. Eric, you make a good point when you say Giannis was MVP and you know, defense play of the year, everything. But you know, let's be real. Those are regular season awards. This isn't the regular season anymore. What do you got to say to that? I got to say they both won their first playoff uh, series and they're right here right now. So we could talk about that when this whole series is over. Mm. 
I'm not saying that I'm you know I'm not trying to give no dirt on the on the Miami Heat, bro. They like I said, they showed up. They got some real time players. I'm just saying that um, this is going to be closer than than I think you guys think, and um, I really do th- still think the Bucks are going to come out with the W on all this. But like I said, just keep tabs on on Butler and Giannis because you slow these two guys down, they ain't going to win. That's what happened to the to the Bucks this first game. Do this to uh, to Jimmy next game, and Giannis maybe takes off a little bit like how he did. Oh, it's a, it's going to be more than an 11 point win what are your thoughts joe oh uh, i agree i i still have the bucks winning this series i said uh gentleman sweep so this is what gentleman sweep's gonna be mm, so you think that went four straight yep joe thinks this is a mirror image of the of the magic here mirror image <laughs> i don't know mm. about that bro here is the one problem though with uh you guys's predictions the magic did not have a man named Jimmy Butler on this team. So, George, to start off my point, I'm going to address a point that you said early on in this discussion. You said that, you know, it didn't prove much to you because you expected this. Well, to your point, George, it might not have proved much for you, but it proved a lot to Jimmy's haters. So for me, this is what it told me. It told me that there's a new beast in the East and they're led by Jimmy Butler. Jimmy has found a home. And I told y'all time and time again that every place he went to was filled with players that don't match his will to win. The Wolves, they were soft like Charmin. The 76ers, they could not handle the bright lights. I look at this Heat team and I see a bunch of dogs that are not scared of the moment, just like my man Jimmy. This Heat team was the perfect spot to him and he chose wisely by coming here in the offseason. It also told me that Jimmy Butler is the most clutch player in the East right now. Let's keep this in mind. He scored 11 of his 40 points in the final four minutes of this game. He closed out this game just like he closed out multiple other games late in the in the Pacers series to lead his team to that 4-0 and zero sweep. Overall, the Bucks need to watch out because this Heat team is a hungry pack of wolves and the Alpha Dog's killer instinct is as sharp as ever. Yeah, most definitely, man. I think me and you have been on the same page on this whole Jimmy Butler thing. And people need to start putting respect because, like I said, the Heat and Jimmy Butler, they're having fresh venison this series. Mm. Eric. Yeah, I totally agree, man. Butler chose a perfect spot to play basketball, man. Miami Heat. Um, He's actually the first player since LeBron to score 40 in a playoff series. So, I mean, he's he's just blossoming here in Miami. In a and, heat uh, uniform, and yeah, in a heat, in a heat uniform. <laughs> He's doing great though, man. I really agree with that. And uh, it, everywhere was too soft for him, man. I really think he didn't really blossom well in uh, uh, the Seventy Sixers in Philadelphia, and uh, even in Chicago when he was playing with Dwayne Wade. I mean, a lot of good experience though. He got a lot of good experience with a lot of players and uh, the teams he was with. But I think here, this is where he's going to blossom. This is where he's going to do his best. And I expect him to make really deep uh, playoff runs. If not this year, then definitely in the years to come. Joe, what do you think? Yeah, like I said on my previous statement, Butler joins LeBron James and Dwayne Wade as players with 40 points in a playoff game. I mean, those those two players right there just give you an idea of what – Jimmy Butler could do for the Miami Heat. Absolutely. And, you know, to your point, Eric, you mentioned about how you don't think Giannis will score 18 points again in this series. I think it's very possible, especially if Jimmy's guarding him, because, I mean, look what happened. He was, you know, he was guarding him for this game. 
uh, a good portion of it at least, and look at the result. The result was he kept him under 20 points. I think it can very easily happen again, and I think it will. I actually never said he wouldn't score 18 points again. I just said that if Butler scores 18, and uh, and I said Giannis scores just as much as he does, or like around 25 plus, then they will lose. That's what I said. The Heat will lose. I never said that Giannis would um, score 18 again. Um, he might he might score 18 again. I don't know. They could stop him again, as far as I'm concerned. We'll see what happens in game two. Let's switch gears now to the NFL. We are going to talk about the New Orleans Saints running back Alvin Kamara. It seems to me that Alvin Kamara is expressing his desire to get extended long-term by the Saints. He's been absent for training camp since Friday, and now the question is whether or not the Saints should sign him long-term. So, Joe, we're going to start with you on this one, Joe. All right. Should the Saints sign Alvin Kamara long term? I'm going to go with a little counter to this. If you're a Saints fan, it is a tough decision to think about keeping Kamara. But I say trade him or or release him. If you take a look back at the previous running backs that signed a for a big contract like Todd Gurley, the Rams signed him to a four-year, $60 million contract extension. Since then... What has he done? He has knee issues. His production has fallen to the point that they could release him. Also, if you look at David Johnson, he signed a three-year, $39 million extension. He finished last season with 715 all-purpose yards and six TDs. And then look what happened. The The Texans got him, and they traded Hopkins. So if you look at um, Camaro's production, he already fallen last season as he struggled with an ankle and knee injury. The Saints will be taking a pretty big risk on an extension with him. But the funny thing is Latavius Murray, the backup, thrived last season on Kamara's absence. That's also another reason why you shouldn't pay Kamara. George, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I just got a quick question for Joe before I ever get into my points. So Joe, you wouldn't franchise tag Kamara? You would just straight trade or release him? If you do, he will just sit out like he like he's already doing. So what's the point? You're gonna be wasting money on him when, in fact, if you trade him, you get picks or player or release him. Yeah, that's true. But if he decides to hold out for a good portion of the time, then he becomes a restricted free agent and not an unrestricted free agent. So then the Saints actually hold him under their power until 2021. So it wouldn't be in his best interest to hold out for a long part of the season or anything so that because then he wouldn't be able to go into that free agent market but if you're gonna sign Kamara to anything you're gonna need a a printing machine that's printing uh, money because he's gonna want that he's gonna want the big running back contract he wants to be the highest paid running back and I don't really think he deserves it maybe if you signed him a, a, a year ago then I would say yes he deserves it but now, since last season, his injuries and his produ- productivity has fallen, I say trade him or release him. Eric, what are your thoughts? Pay this man. I'm not saying pay him the most out of any running back, but this man needs to get paid, man. His base salary for this season would be $2.13 million. That's nothing, man. I mean, Kamara, this is one of football's best backs. I know he has injuries, but, I mean, if you look at since 2017 when he came into the league, I mean, he's been at 728 plus yards a year, and that's pretty good, man. That's that's really good. He's a, he's an explosive player. 
All right. And uh, he, he's a key piece of the Saints offense uh, when they're when he's there. I mean, he's very underpaid. And like I said, on his he's on a four year deal. It was only three point eight six and he's going to get two this year. This man needs to get paid, man. If not, I mean, I don't know what the Saints should do, to be honest. But I mean, I think what they they should just pay him. They pay this man. And like I said, not full, full, a full contract like, you know, the best running back in the league. I mean, he's close to it, but, um, you know, pay this man his money. He's he's done his due diligence. George, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I, I mean, I agree with Eric, you know, pay this man. But to an earlier point that Joe was making about injuries and things of that nature, Kamara has only missed three games in his NFL career. So it's not like he's missing time a lot of the a lot of these games or anything. He's only missed three. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a little tricky because of, you know, this year, COVID and everything. So, you know, the salary cap will probably take a hit. It will be tricky to sign him and make that work. But, you know, if any team can do it, they can do it. Kamara, he's a big part of their offense. You know, Drew, Drew Brees, he's getting older. You know, he's not throwing downfield as much. He's doing these short intermediate passes more often. And that's what they use Kamara for. You know, he's basically a wide receiver and a running back. The way they just use him in the slot and these short little uh, passes. Um, so, yeah, what, what do you got to say to that, Joe? I'm going back to you on your injury part. Yeah, though, you know, he only got injured for three games. But if you look at what Todd Gurley last year, he got in, he had prior injuries and it um it stopped him from being productive last year. He had those really slow games, and I think at one point he only played like a first quarter and then he didn't play for the rest of the game. So it's basically like that with Alvin, Alvin Kamara if the Saints resign him. So I'm saying don't resign him, trade him, or release him. Yeah, I would say they don't really have the same type of injury. I know um, – who are you just talking about, Joe, the other running back? Todd Gurley? Yeah, he had a way more severe injury that's a little more long-lasting in his knees. But, um, I mean, I know you were saying also that having Murray step in for him when Kamara was gone and he took over and he played a lot, you know, a lot better. But, you know, still having – it's like when Ingram and Kamar were together, man. You put those two together, you don't know what you're going to get. You just get straight productivity, really good play from both both backs. Having both backs, it's better to have both options than just one option because you know one team might be able to stop that one option. Having two options is always better. So having Kamara there is, of course, better to me. And uh, I would, you know, I would probably pick Kamara over Murray. Murray's a great player, though, but they're completely two different backs. Yeah, so with that whole Murray talk, uh, Murray's going to be 31, so he's definitely an aging running back. Um, he's only caught 40 catches once in his six-year career, so him and Kamara are not the same type of player. He might have had success for that short stint of time, but Kamara's the man around here. And if we look at some of the other running backs in his, you know, in his uh, tier, right? So we're looking at other running backs that maybe have signed $10 million per year contracts since 2017. The only running backs that have more total yards than him is Christian McCaffrey and Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, the only player that has more touchdowns than him is Christian McCaffrey, and that's only by two touchdowns. So McCaffrey has 39 touchdowns. Kamara has 37. And Kamara leads all of these running backs in yards per touch with 6.1 yards per touch. And he's, like we said, he's making the least amount of money out of any of these since they've already got signed. So, 
I would say sign this man. I think it's a tricky year, so I would franchise tag him and then give him his next contract next season, most likely, just because hopefully by next season, this whole COVID thing is figured out and the money could work better. But Kamara's top of his class, man. He's one of the best running backs in the game. He's utilized in so many ways. And like I said, in this offense with the aging Drew Brees, who likes to throw short, isn't throwing as deep anymore. You know, Kamara is going to play big for them. So the question reads, should the Saints sign Alvin Kamara long term? And uh, for me to answer this question, I have to think about everything involving the Saints. And normally, I would be the type to say, no, do not sign the running back long term. Do not give him that money because running backs are the most expendable thing in this league. They are very easily replaceable. It doesn't matter how much they produce. They're very easily replaceable. And that would be... I, I, don't, I don't see why Kamara would be any different. But for this scenario, I'm going to say yes. You do sign him long-term. And you do give him that money. My, but the only reason I'm saying yes is because Drew Brees, he, his career is almost done. You can get away with signing a running back right now because you don't have a person who can replace Breeze as the franchise QB once he's gone. Let's look at some statistics that just let's let's look at some things that just happened. So Joe Mixon was he just signed a deal to a long uh, long term deal for the Bengals. It was four years for forty eight million. Kamara has had a better overall career than Mixon, and he deserves just as much. Mixon has had a total of thirty eight hundred yards and twenty one touchdowns while Kamara has had a total of 4,400 total yards with 37 total touchdowns, as George mentioned earlier. I believe that this is a good time to extend Kamara because they will be without a franchise QB as soon as Breeze hangs his cleats, and they can live with paying Kamara. This way, if they do draft a franchise quarterback, he can have a good running back to back him up. And if they don't, well then, hey, they, they, don't, ha- they don't have a quarterback to pay. So to your point, Joe, you mentioned Todd Gurley, and that's a great example because, you know, of course, that's why you don't pay. Todd Gurley was the best running back in the league at that time. And, you know, the man got paid, and then look what happened. He is no longer even with the team. But I think that the difference between that situation and this is the Rams were still in the Rams were still in the mindset of they could they could win a Super Bowl then and there. I mean, they made it to the Super Bowl that year that he got hurt. And I'm sure they would have won that Super Bowl if he was there. But the best ability is availability. And that's why, that's why the, in my opinion, the Rams lost that Super Bowl. So in this case, if, if Drew Brees isn't there anymore, well, then this team doesn't, this team doesn't have a shot at a Super Bowl. So in my opinion, it's not a bad time to extend a running back in this situation. George, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm surprised, man. Uh, Drew, like you said, you're normally on the other side of the spectrum where you're saying, don't pay this man, you know, don't pay this position. And But you make a good point, you know, like the Saints, they're in a win now mode. They have a great chance to win right now. So don't, you know, blow up your team or lose key pieces that can help you win right now, you know, while you still have Drew Brees. Um, so that was a really good point. Joe, what do you got to say? Going back to what Drew said about the whole thing with Todd Gurley, 
basically, what what do you what do you think about David Johnson and his thing, signing a three year thirty nine million dollar extension, and then basically sucking after that whole after he signed that whole contract, and then he's with the Texans now. Come yeah, on. I think that they were I think that they were in a good situation to sign him long term as well, only because of the fact that when they did sign him long term, they there were not a contender in any way, shape, or form. And and look what happened. You know, they they got rid of him very easily. And now they have some, you know, they have Kenyon Drake, who I mean doesn't doesn't really have a lot of money going for him. They, they have a rookie QB who, you know, he was the first overall pick, so he's getting paid some money, but he's still, you know, on a rookie deal. So that's nice. So, you know, you got you got your franchise quarterback long after you signed, uh, you, you had David Johnson sign that deal. And so that's why I think it was very easy. Right when they found their franchise quarterback, they just said, hey, we don't want to pay this running back anymore. We're getting rid of him. And that's exactly the point when I say, don't pay Alvin Kamara because he's not going to be really worth it. Mm. Get rid of him. You don't think that like maybe if they can find a franchise quarterback in like, you know, two, three years down the line that they can't just be like, all right, well, Kamara, either A, we're just going to live your contract out for another year or two, or B, we'll start getting rid of you right now. You don't think that the Saints would do that? Um, Maybe, but as of now, if you're looking at now at this moment, I don't think so because – I need to find out who's the backup to Drew Brees. So, uh, is it Winston? <laughs> <laughs> there goes your backup. Hey man, he's a, he's a great he's a great player. He's better on defense, but man, he's still dynamic. Outstanding. <laughs> exactly, he's dynamic. He could be Drew Brees' replacement if he could stop the interception. He can play both offense and defense. He's that dynamic. You know oh, it. Man, come on. <laughs> be the offensive player of the year and the defensive player of the year. Who else can say that? <laughs> Never would happen in NFL history. Offensive and defensive. The player. only other player that can compete with him on the defensive end would be Rudy Gobert for shutting down the entire NBA season. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, that's that should just cement Gobert as like the undisputed GOAT right then and there. That's why he's a defensive player of the year twice in a year. Got yeah, at least he's the undis- at least he's the undisputed defensive. He got goal. robbed this year by Giannis, though. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we're going to switch it to a different NFL running back, and we're going to talk about Leonard Fournette. Fournette was reached by the Jacksonville Jaguars on Monday morning after three seasons as the Jaguars' leading running back. The Jaguars shopped him around and never found a trade for him, which led to the team releasing him. There was always a rocky relationship between both sides, and now that has come to an end. So, George, who will sign Leonard Fournette now that he is a free agent? All right, I got four possible landing spots that I think Fournette could possibly go to. One is going to be the Patriots, and I'm picking the Patriots just because this is what they do, right? They take other teams' leftovers, right, and then they make them great again, right? So other teams, they'll drop players at they think aren't valuable no more. Then they go into the Patriot system and they look great again. So that, that's why I'm picking them. Plus, they I know they got some uh, questions around some of their current running backs. So there's that. And they got a good offensive line. So it might work there for them. My second team that I'm picking for them would be the Eagles. Um, before I get into the Eagles, Drew, you got something to say about the Patriots? 
No, go for it. Take, you can, you okay. can keep going. Um, so with the Eagles, I'm picking the Eagles because injuries to the whole entire team. You know, you got injuries on the line, wide receivers. Uh, I think Wentz had like a lower body uh, soft tissue injury as well. And then Miles Sanders has been hurt too. So that whole team is injured. And we know Doug Peterson loves to run a committee. He loves veteran running backs. Uh, so I think if any team would do it, why wouldn't the Eagles do it? They've done it in the past. They like it. Uh, my third team would be the Bears. And again, that's because of David Montgomery. And he has a groin strain. So we don't know exactly what's going to happen throughout the season with David Montgomery this year. We know that's a lingering injury that can easily be hurt again. So I think uh, having a nice backup there. And uh, we already know um, Nick Foles and Fournette. They've been on a team together in the past, so why not do it again? And my fourth team would be the Steelers. So James Conner, he's always hurt. Uh, it's a good team, great coach, great organization. Uh, coach Tomlin loves a nice power back, and they got a great offensive line as well. Uh, I think any team that signs Fournette, it's going to be for low risk. You know, it's going to be a low contract, low risk. So... Those are the four that I see going. What do you guys think, Drew? So you you named four teams. You named the Patriots, you named the Eagles, you named the Bears, and then you named the Steelers, correct? Those are your four yep, teams? That's correct. Now, I'll give you Patriots, but the other three teams, I feel like they have enough firepower at running back. At least, you know, they have enough people at running back to where they can run their committees without the need for Leonard Fournette. But I'm going to, I'm going to address your point with the Patriots. So I'm in agreement with you. I, if I had to say, if I had to pick any team in this league, I think the Patriots will give him a shot, but they won't sign him unless he's been a free agent for a while. Cause that's just, that's exactly what they do. And you mentioned earlier, another thing that they do, they love to do this kind of thing. They take these talented players that have a track record, and they just they make them model citizens and, and great players. Now, he definitely has a track record of questionable behavior, and that has led to him missing games due to suspensions and just in general, like off-field behavior. Um, he's also injury-prone. He has serious injuries going back to even his LSU days which is always terrible when you pair that up with the fact that he does have that behavioral track record because, as I always like to say, the best ability is availability. So if you are becoming unavailable because you are injury-prone and you have a behavior track record, well, then you do not have the best ability. Finally, the Jaguars, they shopped him around and they couldn't even get a sixth-round pick for this guy. I just, you know, I think this shows how little other teams value him, which is why I believe that no other team will be interested in signing him. If a team does sign him, it will most likely end up in a rocky relationship, just like his relationship with the Jaguars. I have a feeling it won't go well. The only team, as I mentioned, that I see him doing well with is the Patriots. And for the reasons why I, you mentioned and I mentioned. Um, Joe, I'm not sure if you had something to say. Oh, well, I was just going to go back to you guys on the Patriots. I don't know if that would be a good fit because if you think about it, basically the whole Patriots team has opted out for the COVID reason. So I don't know if he'll have be productive on the Patriots roster. But 
I I have five potential landing spots for Fournette. Mm. Number one, I say the Seattle Seahawks because they have they have an inconsistent problem at their running backs with Carson and Penny. Plus, the Seahawks are a run heavy team. Number two, I also I have the Bears. Their running back got hurt last week, and their offense is pretty lackluster at quarterback, so they need a good ground game. Number three, I have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That would be a heavily offensive team with Tom Brady, Mike Evans, Gronk, and Chris Godwin. And number four, this will be a good deal knowing what I told you guys in the prior topic, the New Orleans Saints. They'll get them at a cheap deal, almost almost at the same caliber as Alvin Kamara. But... um. And number five, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. He seems like a prototypical running back for them. He's big, physical, and not afraid to get hit. Hmm. George, I believe you had your hand up as well. Did you want to add something? No, I'm, I'm all good. You take it away. Eric, your thoughts? Yeah, um, I was going to say, I think he needs to like revamp a little bit here. So I, I think he could pick a team like the Patriots. Um, not that he picks, but I think the teams could use them also. Patriots and the the Bears. Uh, same reason what Joe said. The Bears they really have a lackluster quarterback. Uh, they really messed up by not picking Mahomes. Cough cough. But anyway, um, they could really use a new running back next to Montgomery when he gets healthy again. I think they'll be a great team at running back at that point. Plus, it would save Trubisky a little bit of uh, heat. Um, but I think it would be good for Fournette's career as well if he could go to a team. Um, like the Bears or, like I said, the Patriots, maybe even a team like the Bengals. Um, if he goes to a team like that, they could use his help for sure, um, and he can show uh, how you know good he really is, then you know he could maybe get a bigger contract later on in his career. Mm. George, did you want to add to that? I thought I saw your hand up. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to say, you know, for a lot of these teams, it's, like I already said, it's going to be low risk. And Fournette, he's been good. You know, we saw a couple good seasons with him. And Drew, I think you said something about him having like some problems like with the team or something like that. But we've seen a lot of players have problems with the Jaguars. So I think a good question to ask is it the Jaguars or is it the players? You know, we see a common denominator going on there with Jacksonville. Uh, but we got to remember, this guy was a fourth-round pick in 2017. I definitely think somebody's going to take a chance on him, especially with this COVID year where we're probably going to see uh, players have to leave because of COVID or might even see more injuries. So someone's going to sign him. The question is who? Joe, your thoughts? Yeah. So this offseason, Leonard Fournette went away by himself to the middle of nowhere and he probably he gave himself a little ritual by himself to focus on things that he did wrong and i think that's what's going to make him a better court a better better running back this season so if any of the teams that i said or you guys said they're going to get a good running back this season i watch i bet yeah joe take it from a jaguars fan he pulls that crap every year Hey, it's all right, Drew. I, I feel, I feel, I feel. <laughs> uh, 
Go ahead, George. Uh, I, I do agree with uh, that team you picked, Joe, Seattle. I think Seattle would definitely take a chance on him for all the reasons you said. Run heavy team. Yep. They also got injury-prone running backs. So I think he, he'd make a good fit there, help out Russell Wilson and them, and old DK Metcalf and them boys. Oh, yeah. You're right. He would make a good fit there because he's an injury. He's an injured running back himself. But oh. so you so you make you make an interesting point, George, when you you know say what you said. You said you know a few players have you know expressed their grief and disdain for the Jaguars. But let's be real here. Um, there's three players that I that I can think of off the top of my head, and there's the only they're the only three players that come to mind. It was Jalen Ramsey who we know can be a diva. It was Yannick Ngakwe, which he was just simply not happy with the fact that we offered him $19 million as opposed to whatever he wanted. It, they never confirmed how much he wanted. They just they just knew that he wanted more than $19 million. And then we have Leonard Fournette, who it wasn't really wasn't really it wasn't really like he was, you know, unhappy with the team. It's just that he had a lot of off the field issues. He had a lot of on the field issues with injuries and with uh, getting suspended and stuff like that. The team just decided to cut him. So, I mean, you can, you can, you know, take it as you will. You can say, Oh, Jaguars, Jaguars, Jaguars. I feel like it's their fault. But um, at the end of the day, I feel like the serious, I feel like the most serious one you can come, uh, you can think of is Yannick Ngakwe. And that's just because, you know, he wanted more money. Joe? Uh, from 2012 to 2017, the Jaguars made six straight picks in the top five. Wide receiver Justin Blackman, offensive tackle Luke Jokel, quarterback Blake Bortles, and defensive end Dante Fowler Jr., and um, J- cornerback Jalen Ramsey and Leonard Fournette. None of them lasted more than five seasons with the mm. team. So what does that say about the Jags can't keep in star players? Uh, Justin Blackman, he had major problems with with uh, substance abuse, and that's yeah. why he that's but, why he was no longer on the team. Uh, go ahead, Joe. But he would have been a good. I, I would think of Justin Blackman as a Josh Gordon type. If you think about it, he was actually a lot worse than Josh Gordon. But yeah. <laughs> But if he was, if he was out of his abilities, I think he and somewhat in the right mindset, he could have been Josh Gordon with with slight less issues. As, I'm talking about as a player, he could have been a good Josh yeah. Gordon. Yeah, I give you Luke Jokel. Luke Jokel was just a bust, uh, so that's why the Jaguars got rid of him. But um, he was just a bust. Uh, Bortles, I mean, you know, the the team kept him for a while. I'm pretty sure they kept him for longer than five years, and uh, and they. And, uh, you know, they just decided to move on after a while because, you know, they they didn't think that he, you know, they didn't think that he could lead the team to a Super Bowl. So uh, that one. And then you mentioned Dante Fowler. He uh, he was traded to the Rams because because yeah. at the time they just gave Bortles his contract. So they didn't want to sign Dante Fowler. So, yeah, they might have made they might have made a mistake there. I'll give you that one. But I believe, you know. I believe that at the end of the day, you 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 can look at you know you can look at this or that. Uh, Jaguars might. The one thing I'll say is Jaguars they they have a good knack for seeing talent, 
but they they have a hard time for finding players that want to play for you know players that want to play for a system long term or players with just no issues in general. Yeah, it's true. All right. So with that being said, that's all the time we have for today, everyone. Thank you for joining us here on Highly Contested. We are going to post a podcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So be sure to stay tuned, keep with it, and be prepared to be highly contested. Have a good one.